Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. one more thing as we think about all these opportunities to minister to children, whether it's compassion or volunteering in kids' church this summer or helping out with vacation Bible school, it doesn't matter what generation I'm in. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about my comfort. It's not about my well-being. It's about helping the next generation. It's about reaching down and lifting up the children as well and setting an example for them and modeling for them what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. So the music's not about me, the programming's not about me, my time's not about me, my money's not about me. It's about the next generation and helping them meet Christ and follow him. So that's what we're all about. Have you ever been involved in a, a home remodeling project? You know, maybe it's just painting tearing down wallpaper and painting the walls. Maybe it's just out in the backyard, you finally wanna change some of the landscaping, so you gotta dig out this bush or these trees and get that garden set, the, the soil set. Maybe it's a big project, like you're ripping out the cabinets in your kitchen, you're redoing the plumbing and the wiring, and you're installing new cabinetry. We went out to visit our son in Fort Wayne, Indiana a couple weeks ago, And as we were out there, when we pulled up at the house, we were surprised to see this gigantic lime green, like you wouldn't notice it, this gigantic lime green dumpster in his driveway. I mean, dumpsters are big, right? But it was lime green, so you would really see it. And so here it was, this big, you know, six-foot-high dumpster, and it was just full of all this stuff and trash. And I said, look, I know you guys got a lot of junk, but what the heck is this here for? And it was because they were ripping out carpeting to put in new flooring. And it was just easiest to do that. And they were just using the dumpster to throw it away. And in Tuesday, two days later, they were gonna haul it off and get rid of it and all their problems were gone, right? You know what it's like if you've done anything when it comes to remodeling something at your business or improving something at your home or redoing your yard or your landscaping. Before you can build something new and make something new, you have to tear out the old. If you just, paint over the wallpaper, then you're still gonna see the texture underneath. If, if, the car, if you just try to lay the carpet over top of old carpet, there, there's a problem. There's smells and other stains and things that are there. It, it doesn't work. It, you have to get rid of the old before you can have the new. You can't have a brand new kitchen if you don't fix the wiring to make sure that the amperage is up, and et cetera, and that the plumbing is appropriate. You've gotta make sure that that's set and right. Well, why wouldn't God do that when it comes to building the new heavens and new earth? There's certainly a need for some demolition before there's the renovation and recreation of the new heavens and the new earth. And that's what we're going to be reading about today as we're looking in the book of Revelation in chapter 18. I encourage you to take your Bibles and turn there, find your way there. It's on page 10,000, or excuse me, 1,038, 1,038, excuse me. 1,038 if you'd like to use one of the Bibles from the chair in front of you. But what we're doing this year at Littlestown Chapel, we've been talking about God being on the move. And we've been watching him work. And we've been seeing him work and move in our lives here at the church, but also in history. 
And we're reading in the book of Revelation, we've been, we started chapter one, verse one back in the fall, and we've been working our way through and we've been doing this to see God's movement through history and what his end game is in the future. Here's the climax, here's the target that he's working toward and moving toward and helping us see that and know that and act upon it and how should we live our lives because of it. And so as we're thinking about God being on the move and God being on the move in history and God having a plan and purpose for history and he's bringing it to a climax here with Jesus returning and in power and glory and setting up his kingdom that'll last forever and ever, we see as he gets near the time of that coming, there's got to be this final demolition, this final renovation, where as we were singing in the song right before the announcements and offering, that we're tired of everything being broken. And we know things need to be fixed. And there's an evil and wickedness in our world that has to be corrected. And that's what we see taking place in Revelation chapter 16, 17, 18, and 19 as well. Now, just to kind of zoom in a little closer, last week when we had not your mother's Mother's Day message, and we talked about the great whore of Babylon, and some of you who are guests are saying, what the heck are you doing talking about that at church? We were reading in Revelation chapter 17 about how that there's a, a force that's part of the government of the end times, who's, this person is like a harlot, a prostitute. And she's constantly seeking to seduce and lead people astray from being fully devoted to God and loving him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the way she does that is by enticing them through her economic power and through immorality and through political power. And she's constantly seeking to entice the people of earth to surrender and yield their loyalty to the Antichrist, that final uh, tyrannical world kingdom that will lead everyone away from Christ and his kingdom as well. And we read in chapter 17 that there's this image of this monster, this seven-headed dragon, beast, monster, Godzilla type of thing, and there's a woman riding on top of it. And that woman is the prostitute, the harlot that we're talking about. Her name is Babylon. Because Babylon is a symbol of all the kingdoms, all the powerful, wealthy, prosperous, pleasure-oriented kingdoms of this world that she represents and her enticements and solicitations to do what is evil and wrong. And God is one day going to overthrow her. And we read at the end of chapter 17, in verse 16, it says that the very people that were her allies, they will actually turn against her and they will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. And I need to tell you, that's, that's good enough for me that Babylon gets destroyed. I don't really need any more explanation. But God, because we so often are easily distracted and forget what's going to happen and we need it really driven home and made super, 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 super clear, he goes into great detail in chapter 18 as to why Babylon gets judged and how she gets judged and what you and I are supposed to do because that judgment comes. How are we supposed to act today? Because revelation is not just something about the future, it's something that's supposed to shape my behavior today. And what we learn is that that Babylon that gets judged, there's, there's actually a little seed or root of Babylon that's in my heart. I have a, a heart that's like a harlot. I want to chase 
after other things and worship other things and trust in other things and find pleasure in other things instead of the God who created me and made me in his image and sent his son Jesus to die for me and live for me. And so somehow that heart of a harlot has to be rooted out of me and I have to be drawn to a greater loyalty and love and devotion to Jesus. And chapter 18 kind of spells it out in a very crystal clear way why we need to do that. In the process, we see God judging this evil and this wickedness. And whenever we talk about judgment, some people right away have, some of you have already kind of gone, I'm not sure I want to listen to this. I don't know when I want, I don't think I want to hear this. And that's because really when Christians talk about God's judgment, they have two extremes that they, they run to. On, on the one hand are those folks that protest at soldiers' funerals and basically condemn everybody and curse everybody and, you know, you know, God damn America and God judge the soldiers and God hates fags and things like that. And they're those folks that are constantly yelling and protesting and they're very in your face about the judgment of God. And they believe God is going to judge everybody they hate. That's the key. It's everybody they hate and everybody they don't like. So we see that and we hear that and we say, oh, I don't want to be like that. So we shift over very quickly to this other extreme, which is, well, you know, we're not judgmental. We believe in a God of love and we talk about the love of God and the acceptance of God and how God welcomes and includes everybody. And we kind of stake out our claim here. We're not judgmental. We're not condemning in your face. But the trouble is when we only emphasize the love and mercy of God, which God is merciful and God is very loving, but when we don't bring up the issue of his judgment and his holiness, we're, we're not telling the whole story either. We're not telling the whole story either in that case. So somehow we've got to find the balanced view, which is, yes, there is judgment, but yes, there is forgiveness. Yes, there is judgment, but yes, there's mercy and grace. Yes, there's a lot of things that need to be condemned and God needs to deal with it because he loves us so much he must judge the things that hurt us and harm us and hurt the world that he's created. Yes, he has to do that. But he does love and he forgives and he restores. In fact, he was even willing to absorb some of the judgment himself by sending his son Jesus to the cross and take the judgment we deserve for our sin for us. So, you need to keep both in mind. But as you read here in Revelation chapter 13, excuse me, 18, excuse me. As we read here in Revelation chapter 18, we're going to see that the judgment of God is something that you and I ought to fear, but it's also something you and I ought to cheer. We ought to celebrate the judgment of God because as the chapter unfolds, it starts off like it's some kind of courtroom drama. You know, there's the prosecutor saying, you know, Babylon deserves this and this and this and this and this is the judgment she's going to get and the judge renders his verdict and she's condemned and she's guilty and judged. And then it shifts. It's a big funeral. And these three different types of people stand up and they're talking about their laments and how, much, how sad they are that Babylon is gone and how her smoke is rising and how she suffered judgment. And truth be told, they're not really sad because they loved her. They're sad because they don't get what Babylon used to provide. And they've actually betrayed her. And then the scene shifts even more and it almost makes your head snap. Like, what? Because it shifts from a courtroom and a funeral to a party. 
where people are actually celebrating the demise of Babylon. And as we watch these things unfold, we are seeing how God's judgment is just, how it's quick, how it's thorough, and how it brings victory to your life and mine. And we should worship and celebrate God for the judgment that He brings upon evil because in doing that, He's making everything that's broken right. He's showing His love. He's declaring His glory. And He's bringing about His victory. So if you haven't already, let's turn to Revelation chapter 18. And I'm on page 1038. And I'd like to read this with you. And I'd also like you to help me read it. So there's going to be a couple times where I'm going to ask you to read it with me, okay? So you're, you're up for that? That's good. All right. <clears throat> After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, would you read it with me, verses four and five? Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share her plagues. For her sins are heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Thank you. Pay back her. Pay, pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she has mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her like measure of torment and mourning. Since she in her heart says, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine. And she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God, who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, they will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, join me now, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon and spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares 
who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Join me, please. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all the shipmasters and seafaring men and sailors and all those whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out. Read with me. Alas, alas, the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, For God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians and of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. And all the nations were deceived by your sorcery, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who were slain on earth. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, join me for this, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with their immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, again, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who is seated on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you ser- his servants, you who fear him, small and great. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Gives you goosebumps. I don't know, it kind of did me today. Thank you for your reading and thank you for doing that with me. So we see this spectacle of Babylon's judgment unfolding and we feel what the angel is declaring to John, what they are demonstrating to him and we see that this judgment that's coming is something that we ought to fear and something that we ought to cheer for as well. The first reason why we need to cheer for the judgment of God and why we ought to be afraid of it is because God's judgment is just and fair. It's absolutely right and proper that God judges this and judges Babylon in this way. And we see this unfolding in these first eight verses. 
And so when John sees this angel descending from heaven, declaring this message of judgment upon Babylon, this angel is shining brightly, he's glowing, he's so radiant in glory from having been in the presence of God that he actually lights up the whole earth. Everyone, they, they can barely stand the brightness of his glory. And he declares twice here that Babylon the Great has fallen. God is seeing it as good as already done. So certain is her judgment. And her judgment is so complete, her destruction is so complete that the only things that will live in Babylon after all this takes place is the fact that there will be demons there and unclean spirits and unclean birds who are like buzzards and vultures and every unclean and detestable beast. Not people, not artists, not musicians, not saints, not anyone that really has been living there. None of the merchants, none of the politicians, no one will be living there. Just these demonic spirits and these unclean things. It's just a wasteland now. The judgment of God is so complete upon Babylon. And by the way, uh, if you think that whether or not those spirits and such will have any choice about staying there, that word haunt, it becomes a haunt of an unclean spirit, unclean bird, etc. It's a word that literally means the prison house. The prison house. And that's their destiny. That's where they will go. That's where these unclean things will be. The things that are corrupting our world now, they're there and they're suffering the judgment of God as well. And the angel elaborates and says why this judgment is right and fair in verse 3, because he says, all the he gives three reasons why. All the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Remember, Babylon is an economic system that thrives and prospers off of selling immorality, sexual sin. And it's constantly enticing us. And if we would just get in bed with her, so to speak, economically, we would prosper too. We would have pleasure also. We would also have pleasure if we would do that. If we would take her as our harlot and sleep with her instead of being loyal to God and faithful and true to him. And so as you see this, it says that her influence in this way, constantly seeking to seduce people to come with her instead of being loyal to God, it's like she's made them drunk with lust. And she's un- they're under her influence, and now they're acting crazy. The kings of the earth have also gotten in bed with her, and they've committed immorality with her to solidify their power and authority and control over people. And not only that, that the, but the merchants of earth have grown rich from her power and her luxurious living. You'll see that word luxury several times in chapter 18. It's a word that means a sensual luxury, a luxurious sensuality. In other words, everything that just satisfies the pleasures and lusts and cravings in our bodies, in our lives, that's what she offered. That just all those fine things of life, the good life that we're all craving and desiring, things that just make life more fun and pleasant and pleasurable, that's what she was offering, even as it would lead us into greater sin and greater wickedness and greater uh, disobedience and betrayal to God. And so that's what she's offering. And people, the merchants, they made money off that as well. And they've grown rich through this. So then in verse 4, there's a voice from heaven. Not the angel speaking this time, but this voice, probably God. And he's shouting to his people, come out from her, my people. Come out from her, lest you take part in her sins. Lest you share in her plagues. In other words, if you hang around Babylon, you're soon going to sleep with her. 
You're going to soon give in and follow her beliefs and her values. You're going to do the things that she does, and you're going to betray your love and loyalty to Christ. You're going to deny her. So remain true to Jesus and run far away from the harlot Babylon. Stay far away from her. The materialism and the lust and immorality that she's constantly throwing up in your face as well and seducing you with. Because if you do give in to her, you will also share in her plagues, which is another way of saying when God strikes her in judgment, you're going to be struck as well. The reason he says this, for her sins have heaped high as heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Literally, God has remembered her crimes because her economic prosperity, the immorality that she's promoting, the the power that she offers, the pleasure and material goods that she offers, all this comes at the expense of people. And we're going to read in a few minutes about all the material goods that were sold by the merchants who who, uh, cohabited with Babylon, so to speak. And you're going to see that they even traded slaves, uh, human livestock. And that's what he's talking about, their crimes that Babylon has committed, exploiting people and leading people astray and taking advantage of them for a profit and for pleasure and for power. God says their sins of Babylon are heaped high like heaven. It sounds almost like the description in the book of Genesis of when people built the Tower of Babel. They thought they could build a tower, a monument, a pyramid, a ziggurat as big as something that could reach all the way up into the dwelling place of God and have a temple at the top of it where they would worship their view of God. And God kind of takes that imagery and say, you know, when I see what Babylon has done, it's just all these sins, all this violence, all this wickedness, all this immorality, all this sin and adultery and idolatry, it's piling up higher and higher and higher and it reaches up to heaven. That's how much she's done. That's how many her crimes are. That's how violent her life is and how adulterous she has been and how wicked she is in leading people astray. And I see this, I smell it, I feel it, I know it, I can touch it, it's right there. It reaches all the way up to heaven. That's how great her sins are. And she deserves the judgment that she's about to receive because God has remembered her crimes. And so that's why he then says, you know, you people, my people, you need to flee from her. You need to run from her, escape from her, lest you share her sins and you share her judgment. But then he goes on and he says, and it's like he's now shifting his attention and he's speaking to the angels and the other powers that be and says to them, pay her back as she deserves to, as she has paid back others. Pay her double for her deeds and mix a double portion of the judgment that she has mixed out on others as well for them to drink. Uh, why is he judging her this way? You might be saying it's not fair that he would judge her double. I thought if you do the crime, you should only suffer the time in prison. Why is he increasing the judgment that she deserves? Because there there are several sins that she's committed as well. Because it says that she has said in her heart and lived in luxury, she's glorified herself, she's lifted herself up, and she says, I'm invincible. I'm like a queen. How ironic, a prostitute would become a queen. And there she is. She's the queen. I'm a queen. And I am no widow. And mourning, grieving, I will never see. I will never be vulnerable. I will never be exploited by anyone. I am self-sufficient. No one can bring me down. And yet judgment is coming upon her. This pride this sensuality, this luxury, and not only how she practices pride and luxury herself and sensuality herself, but how she enticed everyone to do it as well. That's why she deserves the double judgment. 
For this reason, God says in verse 8, her plagues will come in a single day. They'll come instantly and suddenly. Death, mourning, and famine. And she will be burned up with fire. Why? For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. God is the righteous judge. And he is enacting this judgment upon Babylon because he sees and knows what she's done. She's heard the cry of the oppressed. He's heard the cry of the people that have been martyred for Babylon's prosperity. And he knows what's happening and he's going to bring this judgment because he's true and right and just and fair. There's no corrupt judgment here. There's no bribe that Babylon gets to offer to God and he somehow lets her off the hook. We've all heard of those types of, ex- of situations where someone got out of jail when they shouldn't have or someone escaped punishment that it's very obvious that they deserve. That doesn't happen with Babylon. She doesn't get off the hook. She suffers the judgment she deserves because God is the righteous judge and he will judge her. So that's The first reason why we should celebrate the judgment of God, it's always fair and just. You don't have to second guess it, question it, or say this is unfair because it's always fair and just what God does when he judges. Now the scene shifts from this courtroom scene to now it's like a funeral. And instead of people standing up and saying, oh, what a wonderful woman Babylon was, like a eulogy, it's like they're lamenting. It's like a funeral dirge. They're not singing songs of hope, they're singing songs of sorrow for what they've lost from Babylon. And the thing that's interesting, that is we see these different groups of people that have played the harlot with Babylon. We see these kings and government leaders, we see merchants who are like the middlemen distributing these goods and prospering off of it, selling and buying. And then the people that are involved in trading and shipping these goods all over the world, they're the ones that benefit from it as well. And all three of them have a lament, have a dirge they want to sing at Babylon's funeral. And so it says in verse 9, the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, they're going to weep and wail. All of them are going to cry and sob in a very demonstrative way at this funeral. It really gets them that Babylon is, is dead. And they're going to see the smoke of her burning. And the thing that's interesting, that the kings and the merchants and the shippers, they're not standing close remembering Babylon in her time of of crisis and her demise. They actually stand far away. They actually step back and they, they kind of want to go, I feel so bad about Babylon. And they're standing far off because they don't want to suffer the judgment that she suffers. They're actually betraying her. They're being disloyal to her. They're fair weather lovers. It's only what's in it for them. That's what this is all about. They really don't love Babylon. They're standing far off from her. And not only that, they cry out and all of them say something that's very similar, alas, alas, or whoa, whoa. And they're they're saying something. They're just trying to give verbal expression to the sorrow. Oh, oh, I can't believe this has happened. Maybe maybe people in our day and age, they would swear or they they would just cry out. Other, other cultures and other parts of the world, they actually have words and things that they say that have the idea of alas. Oh, I can't believe this has happened. This is awful. That's what they're saying. In a single hour, your judgment has come. The kings, the merchants, the shippers all say that. In a single hour, 
your judgment has come. And what they're emphasizing here is the fact that the fall of Babylon is that fast, that quick, that sudden, that surprising. Just when you think that Babylon and all of its wealthy glory and power, when you think that Babylon is invincible, when you think that the Antichrist and his kingdom and this harlot Babylon that consorts with him, you think they're going to win and evil's going to triumph. At the last moment, the, the judgment of God falls upon Babylon. And she's destroyed. And they say that your judgment was so sudden, so swift. That's some another reason, another reason why you and I should rejoice in God's judgment is that it's not something that's drawn out. I mean, we have that happen in our culture. Someone gets sentenced for a crime and then there's appeals and then there's appeals and then there's this and there's that. And, and maybe, maybe they never suffer the judgment. Other people are able to kind of manipulate and game the system and bribe their way through and they're caught and everyone knows they're guilty but they're able to, through a technicality, skirt the law and they never suffer judgment. And you and I say, I guess I have to take it into my own hands or is there ever judgment? Is there, can we really trust the police or can we ever trust the, the courts? And we say that there is no justice in this world or the justice is abused. But here it's always true and right and not only is it always true and right but those that deserve it those that deserve the judgment get it. And it comes. And there's nothing stopping it. And it's swift. Because it's right and fair and true. And God is the one who brings that judgment. So the kings, they just say, I don't want to suffer her torment, so your judgment has come in a single hour. The merchants, in verse 11, they also weep and wail because now nobody's buying their cargo, all the stuff that they're selling. And everything that you have described there, the precious stones and pearls, the fine, expensive cloth and clothing, uh, all the building materials, the types of wood and ivory and bronze and marble, all those things for construction, all the spices that are, that are marketed there, all the food items, the flour and wheat and cattle and sheep that are offered there, and then all the things that you would use for industry and for warfare, the horses and chariots and cattle and sheep, and even that human livestock, the, the slaves, the sex trade, sex trafficking, the the slavery, people captured and sold into slavery. All of this. If you want anything, Babylon's got it and she'll sell it to you. And that's what they're lamenting. We can't get any of those things anymore. All this fruit in verse 14, everything that we longed for, whatever it was, we can't get it and we'll never find it again. And that's what they're lamenting. These merchants, they earned money selling all this stuff for Babylon. And they weep and mourn and they say alas also and they recognize that in a single hour, verse 17, her wealth has been laid to waste. And you remember the picture of Babylon in, verse, in chapter 17. She's dressed up with the finest clothing, gold and pearls and jewels and there she is with her golden goblet full of her wine that intoxicates everybody with her immorality and idolatry. And there she is in all her glory. And yet now she's described her wealth and glory and power has been laid waste. She's like a desert. She's like burnt down ruins. It's like after a tsunami has crashed in and carried all the debris out to sea. That wasteland is what Babylon was. So sudden was her judgment. The traders, the shipmasters, and those who distributed all her wares, they also cry, they think there's no other city like Babylon. They don't realize that God is building a better city. 
But they say, what city is like Babylon? They grew wealthy by trading with her. And yet they say, in a single hour, she has been laid waste. She who was so powerful, so pleasurable, so full of all these worldly possessions and luxurious goods, she's now a desert, a wasteland. Now the thing is, in verse 20, there's this hint of celebration. And it kind of, as you're reading through chapter 19, uh, chapter 18, and you come to verse 20, it, it's supposed to wake you up. It's supposed to be a head-snapping, jarring, shocking kind of thing. Because while everybody's mourning at this funeral, there's some people who are actually celebrating. And, God, and that, how rude that would be, right? But that's you know, how culturally bad etiquette, bad form to do that. And yet that's what God is telling his people to do in the midst of this funeral for Babylon. He says, rejoice over her, O heaven. All of you who have martyred, all of you who have died and gone before, all the angels of heaven, all the creatures of heaven, everyone there, you saints and apostles and prophets, rejoice over her, over Babylon. Why? For God has given judgment for you against her. God is not saying gloat over her. God is not saying boast over her. Not, God is not saying taunt her. No, you're worshiping God because God has brought the judgment that Babylon deserves upon her. And this will be unfolded in greater detail in just a moment. God's judgment should be celebrated and feared because it's true and right and because it's quick and sudden. But it's also thorough. It's also full and complete. And no one escapes from it and no one is overlooked in it. Because it says in verse 21, this mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and he threw it in the sea. And so just as a boulder crashing down a cliff and landing in the ocean, as sudden and the, the great splash and all of that that you would witness and encounter that way, that's what this angel acts out now for John to witness. And he says, this is the violence and this is the suddenness of Babylon's downfall and no one will remember her anymore. She will be seen and found no more. And then that little phrase, no more, notice it gets repeated five more times. And, and the, the language of the, of the scriptures, the, the original Greek language there, it's, it's actually a double negative, the structure of it. And the idea is never ever again will you see this. Never ever again will this occur in Babylon. Her destruction is so complete. Her demise is so thorough. She totally now is a wasteland. It's so complete. It will never, ever again rise to the glory and power it had before. And so he says, there's not going to be any music in Babylon again. And there's not going to be anyone building any kind of craft, any kind of artisan, any kind of craftsman, builder, anything like that. You'll never see that again. And not only that, there won't be any mills building things, making things, manufacturing things, grinding things, weaving things. You'll never see those things again. You won't even see a light at nighttime shining in her again. There's no power, no electricity, no nothing. And you won't even hear a bridegroom and a bride on their wedding day rejoicing. There won't be anything wonderful like that. Never, ever again will Babylon have any of these things so complete and thorough is the destruction that God rains down upon her. And why is this happening? Just in case you and I forget, he summarizes the rationale for the verdict. 
one more time. These are the three charges against Babylon. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. This is verse, middle of verse 23. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. Simply put, he's saying, you guys practiced economic tyranny. You practiced economic tyranny. I want to shift gears just for a moment and just make an observation in political science. <laughs> yes, I am crazy to talk about that today. Whether you, con whether you consider yourself a socialist or a capitalist or whatever it is, the foundational doctrines of both economic systems deal with the economy. Marxists and capitalists agree that economy answers all the problems. Marxists say the government should control everything and force everybody to share. Capitalists say let everybody do their own thing and hopefully they'll share, okay? However you look at it, it's all about economic theory. That's the philosophy of Babylon, that all our problems are solved by economy. If we just have wealth, then we can buy the power and pleasure and possessions that we need. If we can just give this wealth, if we can just have a good economy, that's what's most important here. They practiced, Babylon did, economic tyranny. They used people and enslaved people and exploited people by the economy and for the sake of the economy. I don't know if she's a capitalist or a Marxist. I have no idea. It doesn't say. But it does say that she used her wealth to buy people and give them influence, give them possessions, give them power, and that's what they were craving for. And in return, they sold their souls to her. They practiced economic tyranny. Second charge against Babylon, all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And that's a very interesting thing because that's the first time in this passage that Babylon's accused of sorcery, but that's really what she's doing. She's cast such a spell upon the people and governments of the world. She has such influence over them. She's like a witch who's cast a spell. And so through her immorality and through her idolatry, she's constantly enticing and seducing people to come and follow her. And he says, it's because of the sorcery you've practiced. You've bewitched people and you've caused them and led them away from God. And then in verse 24, maybe this is the greatest crime of all. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all, and all who were slain on the earth. Babylon persecuted the people of God. Babylon martyred the followers of Jesus. Babylon crushed and exploited the little people, the widows, the orphans, the underprivileged people, the disenfranchised. Babylon crushed people for the purpose of her own financial gain. She crushed people for more power. She crushed people for more pleasure. And she didn't let anybody stand in her way. No religion, no class of people, no race, no country. No one could withstand Babylon and the Antichrist. And they crushed them in the process. And God says, that blood that you have spilt, you're drunk on that blood. I'm gonna judge you for that because I'm now avenging and vindicating my people and the little people. You see, God's judgment is thorough. The facts support him rendering this judgment on Babylon. It's thorough, it's quick, it's right. That's the judgment he's bringing. But his judgment is something we celebrate, not just because it's thorough and right and quick, but because it's victorious. It's, 
It's bringing about that victory, that change that we're longing for. We know this world is messed up. And to make a new heaven and a new earth and a new city, he's got to renovate and demolish the wicked things that are here. And that's what's happening as he gets rid of Babylon. And in chapter 19, as he gets rid of the Antichrist and his kingdom, he's bringing in, he's doing this demolition work to make a new heaven and new earth and to be with his people forever and ever. So in chapter 19, these first five verses, you see the people of God celebrating the victory of God. We see them celebrating. They say hallelujah, which by the way, is the only time in the entire New Testament that the word hallelujah is said right here in chapter 19. It's all over the book of Psalms. It just simply means praise Yahweh, praise the Lord. You say that all the time. You're saying hallelujah. Okay? Praise God, praise the Lord. And you're rejoicing and celebrating in that. Why are they celebrating? Why are they saying praise the Lord? Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. I want to emphasize that opening word and after they say praise the Lord, they say salvation belongs to God. It's a word that has this idea. We say saved, oh, I got saved from my sins and I got saved from hell and I was saved from destroying my life and praise God, that's all true. But salvation is the idea of victory as well. And here he's victorious over evil and wickedness. He's victorious over all the things that are destroying people destroying families, destroying cultures and nations, destroying this world that we live in. He's victorious over that by judging it. You and I can have victory over sin. We can have victory over the final judgment. We can have victory over the things that we choose to do, the things we choose to think and say that destroy our lives and hurt other people. We can have victory over that because God judged His Son Jesus on the cross. And Christ died for us and lives for us to give us a victory, to give us a salvation that declares true freedom and true glory and true life. And so they're celebrating God's power and glory, but ultimately they're celebrating His victory because He's poured out His judgment. His judgments are true. They're consistent with His promises, His covenant that He made. And they're true. And they're just because they're consistent with his character as the holy God. He's not a capricious judge that can be bribed. He's not a a judge who one day says guilty and then declares innocent or says innocent and then declares guilty. No, he's a God who's fair and just and right in every way because he's consistent with his character and he always keeps his promises. One more time, God says, hallelujah, the smoke from her judgment goes up forever and ever talking about the eternal torment that Babylon will suffer and all the wicked will suffer. The angels of heaven, the 24 elders, the four living creatures, they fall down, they lead the worship. Amen, so be it, they say. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And then there's this call from the throne of God. Praise our God, all you servants, all you his slaves, you who fear him, small and great. Worship the Lord, serve him. Praise Him, for He is worthy. Why? 
because he judges that which is evil and sinful and he takes all that it's broken, all that's wrong, and he makes it right. This is what he's doing and this is what he will do as well. Now, the thing is, this is not just something off in the future that we can go, oh, good, I'm glad God's going to judge them and do that. I'll just live my life here today. No, there are two things that we need to do because of this found in chapter 18 and 19. The first thing is we've got to root out that harlot that's in our heart. We've got to deal with the Babylon inside of us and flee from Babylon and reject giving in to that materialism, choosing to live a simpler lifestyle, rejecting the sexual immorality and lust of our age and choose to live in purity and holiness and love our spouses and love our children and love our neighbor as ourselves and and choose to live in holiness that way because that's what he's calling us to do. Be willing to let go of the power and privilege in order to serve and to love God most of all. Flee from Babylon, escape from her because judgment is going to fall on her and you don't want to be like her and suffer that judgment as well. But there's another reason why we should flee Babylon. We should flee to the Lord and the city he's building. Babylon's a great city, but God's got a better city. The new Jerusalem where we can be with God forever and ever. Flee to him. Everything you're looking for, everything that you're longing for, everything that you think you need from Babylon, this world and its lust and its power and its greed and possessions, everything you think you need, it's there with the Lord and better. So flee to Him. But then secondly, we're called to worship. We're called to honor Him and praise Him. You might be saying, why in the world would I praise God for judgment? That just sounds awful. That fire and judgment, destruction, that's terrible. Why would we celebrate that? Remember, I'm not saying that God's calling us to gloat or taunt or be in your face about it. But no, God is calling us to worship Him, that God is doing what God said He would do, and He's doing what is right. He is doing it quickly. He is doing it victoriously. He is doing it thoroughly. He's taking all that's broken and making it right. And we should celebrate that. That one day, the wickedness, the violence, the terror, the evil, and morality of this world that you and I see that makes us sick on our stomach God is judging that. We should worship Him and celebrate Him because He truly is worthy of it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us as we we wrestle with this passage. It's It's a hard and heavy concept to celebrate the judgment of God. Father, I pray that that we would truly reverence you and honor you and fear you in the way that we would flee from, flee from the materialism of our age and flee from the immorality of our age and, Lord, truly root out the heart of harlotry that we all have and that we instead would worship you and serve you and surrender you because you are making a new heaven and a new earth and we can rejoice in that. Help us, Lord, this day to do justly, to walk humbly, to show mercy, for you are our God. Help us do that, we pray. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you.